Welcome to the Coming Home Well podcast, the show that educates, supports, and advocates for the veteran community. Your host, Dr. Tyler Piron, U.S. Army retired, will bring you exciting conversations with amazing guests about resources, research, and military history, all geared to helping our warriors to come home well. Here's your host, Dr. Tyler Piron. Welcome back to Coming Home Well. I'm your host, Dr. Tyler Piron, and we are going to be talking about a really cool foundation. It's a foundation that does some really awesome things for veterans, and it's a new one to me. I hadn't heard about them before, and so when I learned about them, I said, we've got to get them on. We've got to talk to them. They're doing some really awesome things. So in order to learn about them, we have Donnie Edwards. He is the founder, executive director, probably chief cook, bottle washer, doing it all, doing a lot of things anyway, of the Best Defense Foundation. And it is an organization that's doing some really great things. And I'm not going to steal his thunder by talking about them, but they are a great veteran-focused organization that do a number of different programs. And so we're going to talk about those. But at first, welcome to the show, Donnie, and thanks so much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. So what is the Best Defense Foundation? Well, it's funny. A lot of people ask, what's the best defense? Like, what kind of name is Best Defense? And it goes back to my upbringing. I mean, I played pro football for 14 years in the NFL and a total of 30 years since I was seven years old. And uh, there's one thing that I've, I've always played defense. If you think about it, we are the best defense to keep the history and memories alive of all those who served this great country. That's a pretty cool way to start it out. I never even thought about it. Now, I knew you played football. I didn't know you played that long. I'm not a football guy. So when they said, oh, he's an, he's an NFL guy. Everybody knows him. I'm like, I watched the Super Bowl. I watched that. That's a lot of fun, the commercials and the, the teams that play. But other than that, I don't watch a lot of football. But I used to play when I was in high school and I loved it. But I'm a small guy. And uh, I realized very quickly that the uh, jump from high school to college is a huge jump. And then from the uh, college level to the pros is those people are huge. So for you to be playing defense, that's probably a pretty interesting uh, change from what you were originally doing. Now you're doing best defense foundation. How did you tie those two things? How in the world did you get into the military stuff after leaving the NFL? Well, it's interesting because I'm born and raised here in San Diego. It's, it's a big military town with the Navy and also the Marine Corps. And all my family served in the military. And from a very young age, my grandfather, who pretty much raised me because my dad was really my life, Native American. His name was Maximino Razzo. He's a Pearl Harbor survivor and also a Native American. And he was always coaching me up when I was really young about you can achieve anything in this country if you work hard, because there's one thing that this country has is freedom and opportunity. And you probably don't understand that now, but trust me, you will as you get older. And uh, I never forgot that. And it kind of just instilled to me the foundation of, of this country and the values that we all enjoy today. Well, that's amazing. We've talked to a number of folks that have studied the uh, Pearl Harbor survivors and all the medals of honor and what a chaotic environment. But to take away the freedom and opportunity, and to share it to the next generations, that is probably the best lesson he could have ever given you, that if you work hard, you can achieve your goals. So you got out yeah, of the pretty. NFL, you've retired, and then you said, I want to do something that has an impact. 
Yeah, it's kind of interesting, actually, because I've always been connected with the military down here. All my family served. So I understand the, the uh, what sacrifice is. I mean, it's not only the service member or the sailor that's out there that's serving, but also the families when people forget about that, because there was a lot of times where it was some hardship and, and leaving for six months at a time, eight months at a time. I mean, even my young sister who was in the army for 12 years, she had a seven-year-old kid and she got extended in the army a few years ago. I mean, from six months, eight months to a year. And uh, unfortunately, Noah had to be bounced around all the family members around the country. And it's, it's challenging for the kids and everybody else. So I realized there's a big undertaking with this, right? So we have to recognize that. And I realized that when I had opportunity to change my life at a very young age, having the opportunity to play football and go to college and work my way out of the, the challenging microcosm that I grew up in, only in America. So it's pretty amazing that here's this kid living the American dream. And I realized that and playing in the NFL and going to college, UCLA, getting a master's degree and all this great stuff is because of the men and women that serve this great country. And I'm just so blessed and honored to take advantage of the opportunity and live the American dream. And I know that's on the backs of the men and women that serve. And I think it's important that we raise some um, awareness and some uh, respect to all those who serve, who give us this opportunity. Because I think at the end of the day, some people just take it for granted. And I want to make sure we prop that up and let people know freedom is not free and opportunity is not free. And someone like myself, who should have been a victim, is a victor here in America, living the American dream. I couldn't have ever heard it said better by anybody. That's a great synopsis of how we are in America. That's pretty dang awesome. So you founded this organization in 2018. What are some of the programs that you do? Well, it's interesting because if you go back to it, what is an NFL player, a football player running a, a nonprofit for the military? I mean, I've been doing I had the same thought when I heard <laughs> yeah. about this. I'm like, what I, the I heck? Work. I never served. I mean, you can see in the background here. I mean, you look like I mean, it looks like I've been in the military with all this memorabilia I have in the background. But it's pretty interesting how things work itself out, because I tell you how it all started. I mean, it's opportunity having with a couple of World War II veterans. I was doing a living history reenactment and I remember guys were sitting there talking, having coffee, talking about going back to Normandy. I'm like, wait a minute, you want to go back to Normandy? And I was like, absolutely. I said, well, why don't you go? They said, oh, I'm too old. I don't have the funds. I don't have the, I just can't do it. It's just overwhelming. I can't do it. I said, well, do you want to go back? He said, absolutely. I'd love to go back. And I said, well, I'll take you there. And that's how it kind of started from one veteran and the next veteran that was next to him said, hey, I want to go to Normandy too. I'm like, wait a minute, you guys want to go back to Normandy? They said, absolutely. So two veterans that were there, the other veteran is like, hey, you're taking those two guys. I want to go too. And I was like, wow, this is incredible. And this is all the way back in 2005 or 2006 when, I, when, I, when we first started taking veterans back from, you know, I was playing pro football at the time and just doing it to love my heart. And uh, every year since then, we've been taking veterans back, not from best defense found like a 501c3 aspect, but just coming from the heart and just giving back and uh, started helping out other organizations along the way and then decided to do it and go on our own and uh, create a great team. And, and back in 2018, we, we incorporated as a 51 c 3 the Best Defense Foundation, and we just hit the ground running. I mean, we've been doing it for such a long time, especially our Battlefield Return programs, being able to go back to Normandy, to Holland, to Iwo Jima, Saipan, Tinian, Guam, Pearl Harbor, Belgium. I mean, so many places that we've been fortunate to give our World War II veterans an opportunity to go back to the battlefields for closure, camaraderie, and brotherhood. It must be getting harder and harder to find the World War II veterans that are able to go. We've talked to a lot of different organizations that do the honor flights and things mm -hmm. like that. 
And, and they all say, we love doing it, but it's getting really hard with the World War II veterans. They're just getting on in age or they're just not around anymore. I mean, it's a, a lot of folks that aren't here anymore. Yeah, I know. But there's one thing that's that's real is that they are still here and they're heroes in our books. And we want to make sure that generation is never forgotten. We record those stories because you're looking at a generation that never really talked about it because everybody served, right? So if everyone did it, it's not really a story because like you served, I served, my mom served, my brother served, everybody served. So everybody just like after the war, just put their head down, went to school, got jobs, raised families and went to work only until about 25 years ago. When some of the books and the movies came out, Stephen Ambrose, our generation started to realize, oh, my God, Grandpa, you did that? So it kind of opened up our eyes. And then we started to, to find out about these stories and to record them because we are all enjoying the fruits of their labors and, and their sacrifice now from the freedom and opportunity. I mean, it's just incredible. So I want to make sure that we do give them an opportunity and allow them to go back to where they fought and served to see the love, appreciation, and just the overall love that the liberated have for the liberators. And it's especially showing in Normandy, for sure. Oh, absolutely. I, I always kicked myself. It's one of my great regrets is that when my grandfather passed, he was a World War II veteran was in for the duration, never talked about it, had tremendous nightmares. I remember growing up, I'd visit in the summer and all these nightmares that he would have. And I had no idea as a kid what was causing these. I just He just didn't sleep well. And now that I've been retired and I was in the military, I've done all these things, I, I get it. And, and then we have all these movies and books and we have a much better understanding of what they went through, but they never talked about it. Never really, you know, like they were real proud of their service, but it wasn't about them. And so to get them to tell their stories is probably one of the hardest things uh, to do. And But things have changed and people are more willing to talk, uh, which is always awesome. Well, so I tell you, you what, have the, what go I realize, sorry to cut you off. What I realize is that it's kind of difficult to talk with someone who wasn't there or doesn't speak the same language. And it's interesting, too, because I know a lot of people that I talked to was like, oh, yeah, my grandpa, or my father never talked about it. And I said, probably because you weren't there. You don't and you wouldn't understand. But you'd be surprised when you create the right environment with the men and women that were there that speak the same language. It all comes out. And I've been very lucky and privy to just be a fly on the wall and to see some of this these demons in the past that's just been going along with them over their lives, finally are let go. But to be able to articulate it and talk about it and have that support structure around you to say, hey, you got to do what you had to do. We love you. And you're here because of that. And you're grant, you know, everything. So it's pretty amazing. And if you create the right environment, they will speak, they will talk. And if you watch some of our videos on our website, bdf.org or on our YouTube page, you'll see a lot of these stories coming out. And uh, a lot of them, they never share that in their lives. I absolutely believe that. And it was only after I'd been gone for a while, I was in the service that I would get a little bit more information, but it wasn't ever fully. And, and he passed. I was probably in the service for about four or five years. And it always struck me as I couldn't go back. It was always kind of like a thing in my mind. I wish I had learned more at the time. But you do a lot more than just do the return to the battlefield for the closure. One of the other things I think is pretty cool is the transition. And we mm -hmm. talk about that all the time, how hard it is to transition out of the service where you don't have your tribe and you don't have your purpose. 
I'll tell you what's interesting about that. Cause think about what I've done for my life for 30 years. And then all of a sudden it's gone. My tribe, my team, my brothers, our goals are all in the past. And sometimes that's very difficult and challenging to move forward with. And I've been working, I still work for the NFL now with the transition program. So change and transition and helping former players transition to life after the game. And it's very challenging. And we are very similar to the military as well, dealing with it and trying to look forward without hanging on to the past too much. And unfortunately, we've had our suicides and things like that. I'm sure you, I mean, everything is in the media normally, but yeah, so it's very challenging. I'll tell you, I mean, this is a chance conversation with the Navy SEAL, a former team guy here in San Diego, big relationship with them. And they said, we don't have anything like you guys have in the NFL for transition. They have the TAPS program and things like that, but it said, doesn't really hit it. And we, we started talking and they said, Hey, let's, what do you think about bringing a program like that to, uh, to the special forces and the team guys? And I'd said, let's put it together. And honestly, um, we put it together, just going through it over the last couple of years. And we finally had an opportunity to put into full, uh, fruition. And last year we had our inaugural, our first transition program with eight Navy SEALs, a Green Beret and two Army Rangers, along with NFL players. So what we do, we connect NFL players that are also transitioning with also some of our combat veterans as well. And there's so many synergies, there's so many things that are, are very similar and just that overall respect for each other. And being able to share where we are in the right environment is really help is really healing. We try to focus on the foundational aspect, right? The, uh, the, uh, the health and wellness. So it's easy for, for us to go out and get a job, but there needs to be fulfillment with what we're doing and not looking in the rear view mirror saying, what the heck am I doing? I should be doing, <laughs> I should be tackling Brett Farr or I should be downrange taking care of business with my brothers. And it's very challenging too. And so we talk about all those things and we try to help each other and give each and every one of them uh, a pathway to success. We're in um, communications and helping each other out as we uh, move forward in our lives. There's a lot of great organizations that we work with um, that do specific things to help them. And I think it's important that we identify what that is and we place them with the appropriate foundation that focuses on what they're looking to do. So it's been wonderful. We're going to expand on that, of course. Obviously, we're heavy focused on our World War II veterans, obviously because of their age. But I tell you, the transition program with our Iraq and Afghanistan veterans and NFL players, it's, uh, it's powerful. And we're going to continue to expand on that as well moving forward. I would see so many synergies between those two populations that it's probably just a match made in heaven. Very physical, very mental, and very focused. But it's often hard to find that purpose when you're not doing that specific thing you've done for 10, 15, 20 years, and all of a sudden you're trying to find a job to that does some similar things to keep you going. And all of a sudden you're in a cubicle or you're doing, it's a whole different beast. And so that's yeah. got to be a hard thing. But it sounds like a very successful program, which I think is pretty cool. We have been talking with Donnie Edwards, and he is the executive director of the Best Defense Foundation. Now, we're not done, but I just want everybody to be able to go check out the website. Go check it out, bestdefensefoundation.org. So if you're listening and you want to read along as, as we're talking, just go check it out. I think it's also bdf.org, if that's correct. Yep. 
And so you can go to BDF.org. Go check it out as we're talking. You can go see the things that we're going to be talking about and, and go check it out because it's a great organization. They have a big blue button that says, I'm a veteran, uh, which is pretty cool. It takes you to all their programs and things like that. And then they have a donate button. So if you feel like, hey, I want to go help with this, go donate. That's awesome too. But I know a lot of you guys are veterans or the family member of veterans that are listening. That's also right there, big blue. It's uh, I like that. I've been to a lot of different veteran websites and not all of them have the, hey, this is the button to click if you want some help or you want to do one of these programs. That's pretty cool. So one of the other things I think you're doing as a near and dear to my heart is, as our listeners know, we talk to a lot of authors and a lot of movie makers about veteran movies, veteran books, or things about history that we wouldn't have known about. And you've got an education initiative. And it's not about educating the people uh, that are veterans, which a lot of the GI Bill and things like that. It's more about capturing the living histories, which I think is amazing. Yeah, we try to make sure that we save these stories because now with technology, it'll last forever. And these stories where if you want to do a report, you can hear it directly from the veteran's mouth that was there who created the history. So that's a difference, right? You go and read in a book, but actually hearing from the veteran who created the history in this spot that you read in the books, it's pretty amazing. And we always are um, trying to capture their stories and hear it directly from them. And But part of the, the educational initiative is, is passing on to the next generation about service and sacrifice and how this country came to be. Things just don't happen in life. If you traveled outside the country, as I'm sure you have, you understand that life outside of America is very different. And there's a lot of people out there who live outside of America don't like the way that we live. And our freedom of choice and opportunity and everything that we have, our rights here, is because of the blood, sweat, and tears of the men and women that serve. Every time I go to a cemetery, I see all the men and women there who sacrificed their lives so that we can live the life that we live today. And I want to make sure that's highlighted and kids in the next generation understands, you know, what it is and you know, what it is to be American and, and understanding how we came to be. So it's, so we connect the next generations with our veterans and make sure that they can hear the story and we have them watch our videos as well and uh, put them into place and write and talk about it and things like that. Because I think we take all that for granted and it's important that we don't forget and move forward with it. I was reading that you've interviewed more than 500 veterans at 10,000 hours of video. That's a lot of stories. Yeah, it is. And uh, our videographer, he has his hands full. He has so much content. And as it takes a long time to cut it up and uh, he's doing a great job. We're doing programs and things like that, but we are getting it down and we are saving it and we are trying to push it out as much as possible. I mean, people don't realize like we're a 100% all volunteer organization. And the great thing about it is that we provide opportunity for more veterans to, uh, to go back and to share their stories. And it's just really special, but we're definitely growing and things are going to be changing for sure. We're going to be a little bit more efficient and, and bring some other people on. As someone who is involved in a nonprofit, I feel your pain. I definitely understand the challenges that are involved. How in the world do people go and see some of the content that you have already have created? Yeah, we have a ton, actually. If you go to our YouTube page, Best Defense Foundation YouTube page, there's over probably 100 videos on there. Um, 
Pretty powerful videos, actually. I mean, and then also our website as well. There's a video vault and a photo vault as well. You can see a lot of stories and hear from the veterans' mouths and some of the pictures from our past programs and things like that. So it's all out there. I mean, just, just make sure that you have a, uh, a Kleenex nearby because some of the, the stories, when you hear it, are a little, they kind of get you there in the heart. I don't want to put you on the spot, but is there one or two stories that they've been told to you or that you've seen that have really just hit you in the feels? Well, there's a lot now, unfortunately, because I say that because there's a lot of veterans that I got to know very well and have taken them back to the battlefield in their late twilight years of their life and uh, to hear their story and what it means to serve and to be American and to share their story and to go back and to feel the love and appreciation from all the men and women that they liberated and they're spending that time with them. And then when I watch the videos now, it kind of gets me because I know they're no longer here, but there's one thing that remains true is that they're always here and they will always be here and their memories will always be told through the Best Defense Foundation. They live on in the hearts of and in the ability of our country to continue on. That's an amazing thing. That's a whole project in and of itself is capturing those stories and getting those people to really open up, which is really hard. I think, yeah. like you said, getting that environment where there where it's trust and it's it's protected, it's they understand that's really tough and that's a really big challenge. And it's a tremendous kudos to you and the team because I know how challenging it is to set yeah. those sort of things up. Yeah. You'll definitely be able to go find it on YouTube. Just search for Best Defense Foundation. There's a whole ton of videos. Uh, especially if you want to learn a little bit more about the details. I went and watched a few, which is pretty cool, where they're talking about the day-to-day things that you may not read about in a book, how they survived or what they were eating or uh, Dear John letters and things like that. It's all these little details that add up. So you also have the honor walks, which I think is a really neat idea. It's harder to do over here on the East Coast where it gets really cold. We've had lots of snow this year. Where my wife grew up in Ojai, they don't know what snow is. They hear about it on the news and it's, it's always warm and it's sometimes too warm out there in the desert. But California is pretty temperate where you guys are mostly located, but you're all the way across the country. So what is an honor walk? Yeah, it's interesting because as in football, when things don't go your way, you have to call an audible. So because of the pandemic and COVID, we had to cancel a lot of our programs overseas and we we're trying to figure out like, How can we still make sure that we stay connected and also remember these special battles so it's never forgotten and bring some awareness to it as well? And we came up with the honor walk. It was kind of tough to do it in some places, of course, because of the six feet distance and things like that. But we made it happen. And it was fantastic. We had, uh, I believe we had four of them uh, last year, and they were great. We did a Normandy one, Iwo Jima, Battle of the Bulge, uh, just really special. And it was great because people connected. All over the world. I mean, in the Philippines and in Brazil and Colombia, it's just amazing. They got their friends together, their family together, and they talked about it. Someone was a lead and they talked about what the battle was, all the casualties and maybe a story, things like that. And they made sure that they walked in honor of those who served and, and, and didn't make it. So it was a wonderful program that we did. It was really special. And it's interesting because you said about the cold weather, right? So think about when we did the Battle of the Bulge Walk in the middle of December. There was a lot of people in cold areas still walking, but there's a couple who said, think about what they went through 78 years ago in the coldest winter in Belgium, freezing without proper clothes. I think we can walk three miles in the cold to honor these men and women that were there. 
I think that's a great way to put it because it was definitely a lot colder. You don't have the supplies. You're not wearing the uh, $400 goose down uh, jackets and hats. You're not getting all those uh, materials and keeping warm that way. There was something that you guys did that I thought was totally amazing. We had spent a whole month talking about Pearl Harbor back in December. We had a bunch of authors on. We had about a bunch of people to talk about all the medals of honor from Pearl Harbor. And you guys went and did something pretty cool last year. Back in December, it was a Hawaii battlefield return. And how in the world did that? Because that's a different place than you've talked about before. Yeah, well, Pearl Harbor, I mean, think about it. It was the 80th anniversary of Pearl Harbor. And despite the COVID, despite what's going on, this is a reason why so many men and women during that era raised their hand and said, I'm a fight for this country. I'm a fight for what we believe in. I'm a, and, you know, and I try to tell people, imagine where we were on 9-11. I mean, it doesn't compare it to December 7th, 1941, but that's the reason why they all decided to raise their hand and serve this great country. And I want to make sure that we made it big because if you've been a part of something and you last and you're there 80 years later to remember, you have to make it big. You have to make it special. And that's certainly what we did. Our partner, American Airlines, donated a 787 that made it possible for us to bring 64 World War II veterans back to Pearl Harbor. It was very special. I mean, I'm just looking at the book right now, just going through all the different veterans that have an opportunity to be together for this special 80th commemoration. I mean, I got to tell you, it was very special. We had seven Pearl Harbor survivors and so many other veterans who never, I mean, in their 98 years, 100 years, never been to Hawaii. And it was really nice and very fitting to go to Hawaii um, together with their brothers and sisters one last time for the 80th. So it was really special, really proud. It's the biggest program we've ever done. And it was just a, truly an honor. And there's no way that we couldn't have done it with the support of our sponsors. We had so many amazing sponsors and our volunteer team who stepped up. And despite working full-time and raising kids, they put the time and effort to make a reality. So it's truly a team effort. You talk about team and there's only one way to do it. And that's with the support from everyone on the team. We made it happen. I would recommend everybody go check out the site, uh, bdf.org, and they have a, a whole button to a link to all the photos, which are so very cool to see these <laughs> people that are pushing 100, going yeah. out to Hawaii to celebrate, and all the, they have all these different things, all these different folks that were serving, and it is so hard to look back in memory of how things were in our country right after the Pearl Harbor attack. It was a whole different era. It was kind of like after 9-11. That's the only analogy I have. I mean, I was at the Pentagon pulling bodies and doing all the rest after 9-11. It's nowhere near the same. I mean, there was lots more people injured, a lot more people killed, and it was a deliberate attack by another country. And so the mood in the country was so different. It was people were actually being like exiled or ostracized if they didn't go sign up to serve. It was a whole different world and something that we don't even think about today. Oh, we have a professional military and they're going to go serve. And I don't really nope. I'm going to go to college. I don't need all that. Back then, if you weren't signing up, you were like, oh, he's a coward. So it's a whole different approach. And a lot of it was just what you did. And you mentioned it earlier. Everybody served. There were so many people that it's just like, it wasn't even like, oh, If you didn't serve, it's probably the outlier as opposed to serving back then. That's why so many, so many people signed up at 15 and 16 years old. I mean, just one story here. 
Ronald Sharoff. He celebrated his 16th birthday in Iwo Jima. Think about that. 16 years old. Think about a 16 year old kid today. And that's what we do in the schools. Like, think about you're 16 years old, right? You're right. You're 16 years old. Think about like halfway across the world driving or, or steering a landing craft and bringing soldiers onto the beach at 16 years old. Here he is right here. There's Ronald Sharoff. He's showing me a picture of Ronald Sharoff. He is uh, showed him what he looks like as a young man. And then in wearing his uniform, probably close to uh, 95 at this time. Yeah. I mean, he was uh, 16 years old and signed up. And a lot of people used to just paper records. Things were a little bit different than they were now. Uh, it'd be a little more challenging to get in if you were trying to pretend you were younger. Uh, <laughs> I sort of get it because I signed up when I was 17 and went to basic training to my junior and senior year. So I get it. But then 15, I have a 15 year old. So I get I'm like, there's no way in heck he should be going in and doing any of these things. But they were. And they were going and doing some really courageous and dangerous things just because they knew how dangerous our country was in. Yeah, I'll tell you, too, because think about I hear a lot of stories from the veterans and they talk about there's one thing that people forget. And we're all depression, Great Depression babies. So there wasn't food. There wasn't anything around. And they're fighting for their lives. And a lot of them said, hey, I made it through the Great Depression. I can make it through World War Two. And that gave them the confidence when they were beat down and tired or cold, whatever. They thought back to the Great Depression and said, I'm not giving up. We can do it. We can fight. And a lot of them had said that, actually. A lot of veterans. I heard a lot of those stories. What imagine after the Great Depression, uh, World War would just be, especially after World War One. I, I can only speculate, but life was not all that easy for folks during these times. And they said, hey, but we certainly don't want to be taken over by the Japanese or the Germans. I guess this is what we got to do. You guys do so many different things and you do them all so well. And that's the really hard part about every organization. And a lot of organizations do one thing and they do that one thing well, but you doing them all and doing them really well. So that's a different uh, approach. What should I have asked you about but didn't? I think the question is to ask everyone, what are they doing to give back and to are you just taking or are you going to actually give back to this country? Because I think a lot of us just take it for granted. And we have to ask ourselves, how can we help make a difference and just say thank you to those who serve this great country that we all take advantage of the small freedoms that we have? I mean, we can go to a hotel and not have to have your car searched and everybody get out of the car. I mean, you know, this is some things I had to go through when I you know, was in Africa or in Kuwait, things we just take for granted. I think we can all make a difference and say thank you and just don't take it for granted. There's a, a less than 1% of our men and women that serve this great country. And uh, there's all small things, different things that we can all say thank you. And I think if we all um, just do our little part, just a little drop in the bucket, it'll be full and um, make this country even that much better. We have been talking with Donnie Edwards, he's a 14-year NFL veteran who decided what he needs to give back and founded the Best Defense Foundation. You can go check him out at bdf.org or bestdefensefoundation.org. It's really easy to find, which is really cool because sometimes that's a real challenge uh, on the internet. But you can find it super easy, I promise. Click on the donate button if you want to donate or get in touch with them if there's some skills or something you'd like to help them with. That is always needed. I know just from our own personal experience that you always need additional help and resources. You can never do enough. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm coming home well and sharing 
all these different awesome programs, which are just like, every time I hear them, my heart is, oh, that's so awesome. However, somebody took the time out to go do these things and do them right. And not just sort of, you know, wing it. I'm sure when you first started, you're just winging it. But as time went on, you probably got a lot better and realized all the things that you needed to do to make it uh, even better and more special. I'm certainly much appreciative of all that effort. And thank you so much for joining us on Coming Home Well. Well, thank you for having me. It's an honor and truly a privilege to have this platform to serve those who gave this little kid from San Diego an opportunity. So thank you to all those who wore the uniform that raised their hand to defend this country. I got to tell you, I am honored and I want to say thank you.